This is the KOTO Community Radio News for Friday, November 19th. I'm Julia Caulfield. In today's headlines, Telluride schools locked down following nearby shooting, remembering gay campus, American Siren comes home, and a mountain weather forecast. But first... Lindsay Takeen of Norwood and Pinion, Arizona, passed away on Thursday evening in her Norwood home. According to the San Miguel County Coroner's Office, Takeen was found dead in her bed by the sheriff's office. Norwood EMS responded. However, resuscitation efforts were unsuccessful. She was 28 years old. The cause and manner of death are under investigation. Crippen Funeral Home will attend to services. Takeen is survived by her siblings, Clyde, Thurman, Kristen, Kim, Shayna, and Jade, and her parents, Eddie and Matilda. Telluride schools went into lockdown on Friday morning as the result of a shooting that occurred near the high school. According to the town of Telluride, the shooting took place in a private residence. The victim was transferred to a hospital for medical care and the suspect is in custody. No students or school staff were affected and Telluride Chief Marshal Josh Compt emphasizes there is no current active threat to the community. The school lockdown lasted roughly 10 minutes. As the situation is an active and ongoing investigation, Compt says law enforcement is not able to provide further information at this time. Telluride has seen many a change over the years, and Marion Gay Kappas was there for a lot of them. Kappas was born on September 4, 1922 in Minot, North Dakota, but moved to Telluride with her family when she was 14 years old. Telluride would be her home for the next 68 years. There was no one generation that she related to and stuck with. She managed to evolve and change and see people as people and, and, and make the most of it. It was really spectacular. That's Jay Kappas, Gay's grandson. Gay Kappas passed away on November 2nd in Dallas, Texas. She was 99 years old. After graduating from high school, Kappas married her high school sweetheart, George. Soon she got a job as a typist for the county clerk's office. She was appointed deputy clerk and then served as county clerk from 1970 until her retirement in 2002. She was one of those people that did something um, so naturally that you didn't necessarily know that she was doing something special. But then you look back on it later and you go, oh, my gosh, that was not normal for lots of people there. I mean, her job working and being a leader in government as a woman during that time was, you know, unique um, and never a question in our minds. And then we go back and we look and we see all the people that she touched and affected and how she participated in the, in, in the life of the town. And we think, you know, that's that's not something everybody gets the chance to do. And not only did she do it and do it with a family and do it and live her life, but she did it exceptionally well. But Jay notes his grandmother didn't do everything alone. She had the support of her community and especially the love of her life, George. They were both heavily involved in every volunteer activity they could throughout their lives. They were at every uh, fireman's fundraiser. They were at all the different 
um, uh, opportunities to support people and their causes in terms of helping their neighbors. For Jay Kappas, he hopes people remember his grandmother living her life to the most joyful possible. It didn't really matter whether it was in the 40s or in the 60s or in the 80s or, or when it was. I, I never saw a time when she wasn't trying to be um, involved or interact or create relationships or take care of somebody else or contribute to something. He hopes campus's civic engagement will inspire people into the future. That's such an important thing for everybody to do in order to make our community stronger, that if she was to leave any legacy, I would hope that would be it. It's like, look, it's like, it doesn't matter when you were born or who you were born to or any of those sorts of things. It's the it's the what you do with it and how you help others around you interact with you during that time that can make a difference. In a sometimes tumultuous time, may we all carry Gay Kappas's belief in the beauty of people, community, and Telluride. Kappas is survived by her son, John, her grandchildren, Jay and Andrew, and her great-grandchildren, Christian, Oliver, Lindley, and John David. Telluride local rising star singer-songwriter Emily Scott Robinson is back home with her new album, American Siren, and a performance at the Sheridan Opera House on Saturday, same night as Turkey Bingo. I'm competing You're with competing night with turkey, turkey Bingo. bingo. Did they add a brunch Turkey Bingo just because of my show? That I don't know. I feel like they've done <laughs> brunch Turkey Bingo before, but nobody ever knows about it because they always go to the night one. But this year, no one can go to the night one. Oh my God. Because they're, the they're all going to be at the Opera House. That's right. <laughs> All Suck right. it, turkey bingo. <laughs> <laughs> KOTO News sat down with Robinson to talk about getting back on tour after the pandemic and showing the complexities of the women experience through music. Emily Scott Robinson, thank you for being here. And we are going to talk about your new album, American Siren, which you are touring around the country right now. Yes. This region has been really great for local musicians mm-hmm. during the pandemic, but it's got to be a whole new kind of world in some ways to be going out and actually being on the road again. What's that been like for you? Oh my gosh. It has been wild. Well, first of all, it is so good to be back home in Telluride in the Box Canyon. I missed it so much. I was, I've been gone for a couple weeks touring and working nonstop on this record release and, um, you know, when I'm away from the mountains, I kind of feel my battery like discharge a little bit. And then I come back and it's really good to be home again. It's been amazing. It's been so, so good to be back. I like really surpassed kind of a bunch of milestones on this tour, selling lots of tickets to these shows and um, playing back uh, in North Carolina where I'm from originally and playing in New York City and having bands on tour with me and playing a big release show in Nashville, which was so much fun. It was so exciting and um, making a new music video and um, just I've uh, it's been a total whirlwind. Um And I feel like I'm just now catching my breath. I know that a lot of people listening will be like, we know the album. We've listened to the thing all the way through. (laughs) But for maybe those who haven't, um, tell us a little bit about this new, it's your second studio album, about what this album is. Well, so I got this idea. I really kind of got this idea from the production of Macbeth that we were in together, um, where I was writing these songs for the witches. The first song on the record is Old Gods, which is one that I wrote for the witches. With Telluride Theater. Carry my prayers on the ocean. Carry my prayers on 
We turned the witches into more of like a siren type of character in the show. And I started to think about, you know, there's a lot of songs from the perspective of women. This is really, on this record, this is really a record about like um, change and transformation and death and rebirth and new life and, and grief and hope. And I feel like I've been going through all of those things kind of during the pandemic um, and and into this the making of this record. And so a lot of that is reflected in the writing. Um, but the concept is that each song has a siren-like quality, meaning there's something either calling to the character or there's a character calling out for something in that way, right? There's this like cry that cannot be ignored. For example, the way that this kind of plays through some of the songs, um, If Trouble Comes a Lookin' is one of my very favorite songs on the record. What is there in a little rock at the Hilton Double Tree? Just a woman far from home, a thousand miles out to sea. We treated really trouble, the idea of trouble or like desire um, and like loneliness as this like siren call that's pulling the woman in the song and the priest in the song into each other's arms. If trouble comes a looking, she won't be hard to find. She's sitting in the hotel bar, second glass of wine. And then if you take Let Him Burn is about a woman who, um, you know, is in this beautiful life that she built. And I grew up in the South and there's a lot of exploration of religion and cultural mores on this record. And so she's a woman I'm like so familiar with. She's a mother, she's a wife, um, she's playing all these roles and yet every night she's like in her bathroom on the floor crying while everyone in her house is asleep because she doesn't want to do this anymore and there's something in her that's pulling her to like let it go and move into the world and like destroy what she's built. I go to church I say my prayers but I have never felt the breath of God And then the next song, Cheap Seats, is is a really fun, up-tempo, upbeat song about, you know, it's sort of like me as the narrator, but it's couched in a character. It's a, it's a girl who's, like, waiting tables and writing songs on the side and, like, seeing her heroes up on stage and dreaming of her career and wondering how she'll get there and really just, like, wanting it so badly she's so hungry for it and so there's this like call of fame and this call of a dream kind of coming through from her like future into her present and so you know as you go through the record there's like I just love the idea of the siren songs playing out through the record and I feel like it really it really works I mean there's you know I could keep going but I won't give you a book report on it I'm in the cheap seat Watching the big show, hoping that one day I'll look back and know that every big dream and every heart. 
I mean, it is really interesting what you're saying is, I mean, obviously women write a lot of albums. Yeah. But this is an album that feels very, like a man could not write this album. I don't think so. At all. I don't think so. I don't think so. (laughs) It's this really, I think, beautiful record of really recognizing all the different complexities and sides that women have that you don't necessarily often see represented. Was that something that you were actively thinking about? Like, oh, I want to make sure to bring in all of these different elements or did it just kind of naturally happen because you were a complex woman writing music? I think it naturally happened because I'm a complex woman writing music. And and also I was aware of the fact that like women in, you know, in media, I mean, and, and men too really like because of our sort of um, like the really specific gender roles that we've all grown up with. But like society does not want to see dangerous women. It doesn't want to see women who are like kind of willing to give into their desires. It doesn't want to see women who are like, um, like willing to shunt their responsibilities and roles. Like women are really in many ways, the laborers and caregivers, um, for so much of our, of our system. And so I wanted to explore like the darker voices that are calling to women. Right. And, and what happens when a woman puts herself at the center of her own life? Emily Scott Robinson. Thank, Thank you, you for Julia coming and chatting. I love Kodo so much, and it is great to be back. An evening with Emily Scott Robinson will take place at the Sheridan Opera House on Saturday, November 20th at 9 p.m. Robinson will be joined on stage by Telluride locals Sam Burgess, Claybrook Penn, Anna Kadeen, Warren Gilbreth, and Aubrey Mabel. Turkey Bingo is also going forward at the Elks Lodge. Kids Bingo will take place 3 to 5 p.m. on Saturday, November 20th. Adult Bingo will follow that same night at 6.30 and 8.30 p.m. Bingo Brunch will take place on Sunday, November 21st. Brunch at 11, bingo at noon. Nucla and Natarita will soon have service from the San Miguel Authority for Regional Transportation. On Monday, the transit body is launching an expansion of the Norwood route into the two communities. Smart Executive Director David Averill says the bus will still come and go from Norwood at the same time. So no impact on Norwood riders or the schedule or anything like that. Um, it should, we just start that route about 40 minutes earlier out in, Nor- in uh, Nucla Natarita. Like all smart routes, the Nucla Natarita ride will be free, but not forever. Smart stopped fares at the start of COVID, but they're coming back starting January 1st. We went for a free only because of the pandemic. Um, yes, we're still in it, um, but it's been a year and a half now um, since we haven't collected fares. So it's, it's time to, to start collecting fares again. When it comes to overall ridership, Averill is feeling good. I'm psyched. <laughs> the number of people on buses has taken a dip during the pandemic, but is back on the upswing. It's all good news across the board there. Riders seem to be coming back. The Norwood route is back to pre-pandemic uh, ridership levels, which is not expected, um, but a nice surprise. I think Down Valley is getting pretty close and retail yeah. swinging back too, which is great. Averill thinks some of that increase is more people riding the bus during the school year. Plus, he says more people usually ride in the winter. 
He also hopes some of the bump on the Down Valley route is thanks to an expansion into Two Rivers and Ilium, Smart launched earlier this year. Smart also just wrapped up its off-season service. It was the first time it ran the service without support from other local governments. Averill acknowledges there were some bumps in the road. We thought we were ready for it. We, 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 we pulled it off, but we've had some issues, and I want to acknowledge that. I don't want the public to think that we're not aware of the issues that we've seen there and that we're doing our best to address them. Um, and namely, it's just keeping schedule, things like that, uh, missing stops um, on occasion. But it's something that um, we take to heart. We take it very seriously, and we know people rely on us during the off-season, so we want to be reliable. And uh, we'll be working really hard with our team with Telluride Express to improve for the spring. Like all public transit, masks are still required on all smart buses. You have the ski pass, but what you could really use is a new pair of used boots. Fear not. The Telluride Adaptive Sports Program has you covered. TASP will be hosting a used ski sale pop-up next week with discounted gear, everything from skis to snowboards, boots to clothes. All proceeds will go to TASP. The TASP used ski sale pop-up will take place on Monday, November 22nd from 1 to 4 p.m. and Wednesday, November 24th from 11 a.m. to 3 p.m. outside the Granita Building in Mountain Village. For a lot of people in and around Telluride, one of the top issues on their minds is housing. And it's not just an issue for San Miguel County. KOTO has partnered with multiple stations in the Rocky Mountain Community Radio Coalition to report a series of stories looking at economic mobility through housing to understand how the challenge and possible solutions are playing out across the region. Today, we're heading a little south. With rents at mobile home parks rising across the mountain west, some residents are taking matters into their own hands to keep prices down. One park in Durango was purchased by residents earlier this year and is being run as a co-op. Now other communities in southwest Colorado are considering emulating the model. KSJD's Lucas Brady-Woods has this report. Mobile home or manufactured home communities historically have served as an important source of low- to middle-income housing across the West. But these days, residents of these communities are often subject to rent increases and buyouts without much protection. And in some cases, that means park residents are being displaced. Lisa Bloomquist is the executive director of Homes Fund, a nonprofit housing organization that works with some mobile home parks in southwest Colorado. When rent in these communities are going up, you know, 40% a year, uh, people, it's just what people are having to pay or else they're getting foreclosed on and, and giving up their house entirely. But a number of manufactured home communities have found a way to counteract this trend by becoming their own landlords. In Colorado, a state law that was passed back in 2019 gives residents at a park first dibs on buying their park if it goes up for sale. That's exactly how the Animus Riverview Park in Durango was purchased by its residents. The 120-unit park sits on the city's outskirts along the winding Animus River. A sign at the entrance says, quote, we own it, with an exclamation point. John Egan is the president of the park's board and has lived in the park for about a decade. When the park was purchased by corporate owners back in 2016, rents started to increase at a rate that just wasn't sustainable for some community members. There are many people who have lived here 20, 30 years who would have ultimately been driven out of the park just because of the uh, continuing rent increases. That's one reason why Egan and other residents worked together to buy the park from the corporate owner earlier this year. 
Now, the park is a co-op. That means it's being run by a resident elected board. And the board has a mandate, keep prices affordable for residents and make sure the purchase of the park doesn't result in residents having to leave. The board is also made up of people who actually live in the park, like Egan. That creates both buy-in from the community and accountability for how the park is run. The community aspect of this is, is essential. Our residents are really taking pride in the property. It's getting cleaned up. Uh, people know each other now. People have a certain kind of respect for the property and are, are proud of it. But getting residents organized and finding the money to buy a manufactured home park is by no means simple. George Cheney lives about 40 miles to the west of Durango in Montezuma County. He's looking into how the co-op model could work for manufactured home parks there. And he says there are challenges, starting with getting everyone involved in a park on the same page. Well, there has to be a sustained effort on the part of a group of people that would include an owner, whether that's an individual or a company or family, whatever. Cheney also says the resident-owned model is not without risks. It could be that a a mobile home park makes that kind of transition to a resident-owned community um, and goes along for a while and they find that they can't keep costs down as they hoped. Costs to purchase and maintain a park are usually too high for residents to afford on their own. Animus Views price tag, for example, was $14 million. That's why financial partners are a big part of the process. Lisa Bloomquist's organization, Homes Fund, was one of a number of organizations that helped Animus View residents with funding for the initial purchase. But those loans have to be paid back somehow, and repayment costs can translate into higher rent costs in the short term. Here's Bloomquist again. Financing $14 million, even with, with favorable terms, you know, it, the, the lot rents did not go down immediately. In fact, when the residents first formed the co-op, rents went up. But Bloomquist also says she's confident they will go down over time. For Animus View Board President John Egan, though, the results are worth the expenses and coordination required to make the resident-owned model work. And for other parks that are considering pursuing a similar model, Egan has a few words of advice. Don't wait. Don't wait a minute. Get organized now. Make the connections you need to make. Be ready to move the minute uh, that park comes up for sale. But despite its limitations, the model does seem to be catching on in other parts of Colorado. Resident-owned parks have already established themselves in communities from Colorado Springs to Leadville. For Rocky Mountain Community Radio, I'm Lucas Brady-Woods. Colorado voters will decide next year whether to cut their income tax rate for the second time in two years. If it passes, residents would see their income tax rate drop to 4.4 percent. Economists say it would allow residents to spend more money on goods, but it would also cost the state about half a billion dollars in revenue. Voters passed an income tax cut in last year's election. There are several other groups collecting signatures for a handful of other ballot initiatives, including one to cut the statewide sales tax rate. A controversial Civil War monument that stood in front of the state capitol for more than a century could soon be heading to a new home. KOTO's Scott Franz has more. The bronze statue of a Union soldier has been housed at a Denver history museum since it was torn down last year during racial justice protests. Lawmakers are considering moving it to the state's Department of Military and Veterans Affairs campus south of Denver. 
but on Friday, they postponed voting on the plan after hearing concerns they were moving too quickly. Kurt Morrison serves on the committee overseeing the monuments at the Capitol. For a statue that I think most of Colorado really identifies with the state capitol, I'd really like to know what the public thinks, what veterans organizations thinks, what the tribes think. Curators at History Colorado, where the statue is on display, say a majority of people who left feedback at the exhibit did not advocate for returning it to the Capitol. There are plans to place a new Sand Creek Massacre memorial there instead. I'm Scott Franz. The National Weather Service forecast for the western San Juans calls for mostly cloudy skies tonight with a low around 30 degrees. Saturday should be partly sunny during the day and partly cloudy at night with a high in the mid-40s and a low around 20. Sunday calls for sunny skies with a high around 45 degrees. Sunday night should be clear with a low around 25 degrees. This has been the news for Friday, November 19th. Thanks for listening. If you have a story idea or a news tip, call the news team at 970-728-3206. 